are no longer slaves to sin. That is the beautiful outflow of the gospel. Hey, thanks for joining us here at the church at Suncoast. Take your Bibles and let's get into God's Word. Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25. Turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25. Mathematics is the vehicle of reason and common sense. The world is built on natural laws that we rely on all the time. The law of gravity, there's a law of aerodynamics. There's laws all over the place that are natural functioning laws. We depend on these things and they're all built into a common sense natural world that we live in. We can make sense of it all. In fact, we love to figure things out, don't we? I heard a rattling in my pipe in the bathroom, and uh, I thought it was a valve that was bad. And I thought about it, and I thought about it, and I thought about it. And what I think it is, it's the fixture that needs to be replaced. The water was backing up. Anyway, there's just some things it was doing. I figured that out. I'm real proud. I'm not a plumber. I'm probably not right anyway, but I think I think I know what it is, and it's a lot less expensive than getting a valve replaced. Just replace the car. We love to figure stuff out. But when it comes to spiritual truth and what Jesus taught and who he is, the common sense, rational, mathematic mind is death. It is the end of the road spiritually if you and I think we're going to figure this stuff out. It is what's called a mystery and a beautiful mystery at that. If you think that you can crowd all the knowledge of the holy, all the knowledge of God, and know God with your mind, it's like like filling your brain and it will explode in seconds. But if you open your heart up to belief and simple faith like a child, then your mind goes into the heavenlies and you are spiritually increased. An amazing journey is open to those who simply, simply believe. But you can't do it with your mind. That's why Jesus condemned these three towns last week, one of them being Capernaum, for their wisdom and prudence, their wisdom and understanding. God's not against the intellectual properties. He's not against intelligence and increasing in that. What he is against is intellectual pride. The pride that thinks they understand the spiritual things with this. But faith is never addressed to this. It is addressed to the heart, never to the mind, but to the simple believing heart. The Greeks taught that no man can know God. And if with their mind, and if they could know God, they couldn't explain him to anyone else. Give you a couple things that were going on at the time of Jesus. They rejected him for a number of reasons. One of them was a verse out of Malachi that said that the Lord would suddenly come into his temple. Well, they said they rejected Jesus on the basis of when the Messiah comes, we won't know where he's coming from. We know where you come from. We know your family. We know Nazareth. We know. 
with their intellectual, biblical pride, they missed Jesus Christ. They missed him. Give you a common day one that's kind of in focus now. The whole idea whether we choose God or God chooses us. The intellectual pride says it has to be one or the other. Either God is sovereign and he chooses us or we are free to choose. It can't be both. It's not one or the other. And they'll mock you for this. It's called a mystery. You're free to choose and he chooses you. It's both. But see, the mind can't comprehend it, so it's rejected outright. We come upon this passage when Jesus has faced these three towns, these three villages. And I want you to notice his response. I was riding my bike the other day and I came upon a field with a donkey in it. And the donkey was sitting down. You know, that old classic, and all I needed was a guy with a rope trying to pull it. And I thought, boy, stay right there, stay right there. And I grabbed my camera and took a picture, and just as soon as I pulled up the phone, he stood up. I thought, you donkey, you never do anything I want you to do, man. You're even rebellious in a photograph. This is people, this is the heart of man, stubborn, knowing. They rejected Jesus after he was crucified because they said this. Oh, we know an Old Testament verse that says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Well, how can the Messiah be cursed? He can't. You see the pride that tries to figure him out? It was our curse that he took on the tree because they were so smart biblically. They missed Jesus Christ. But I want you to see his reaction in chapter 11, verse 25. This is is on the heels of his renouncing these three towns. By the way, have you ever been discouraged with the hard-heartedness of people that you share the gospel with? Friends and family? You think they'll never get saved? They won't budge? Have you ever just been frustrated with people's cold hearts or our own cold heart? Look at what he does. It's a lesson for us in verse 25. At that time, Jesus declared, really he prayed. This was spontaneous. This was a spontaneous, on-the-moment prayer. It was one that, that was thrown up to heaven in the midst of these people. But look what he says. At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father. That's a beautiful response from being frustrated with people, isn't it? He totally redirected his attention toward his father, and he said, I thank you, Father. Notice he says, Lord of heaven and earth. When you study the Bible, don't miss a word it says. And ask yourself always the question, why is that word there? Why are those words there? Why does he say it like that? What doesn't he say? He calls him, first of all, a father. And then he says of the Father that he is Lord, not only up in heaven, he is Lord and in charge down here on earth. I love that, don't you? No no matter what the hardness of men's hearts are, the coldness, the rejection, he is still Lord on this earth. He hasn't lost control of this earth. He is Lord of this earth. That's the confidence we have to share the gospel, that he is Lord. He can break anybody's heart. He can reach anyone. He can discipline any of us and get us back where we need to be. He is Lord. Notice we are not Lord. Okay? 
We are not in charge of other people's lives, their spiritual journeys. He is. Don't take that burden upon you. It'll crush you down. God is God. Let him be God. Let him be Lord. And let your heart be lighter than it is, even though people all around you, friends, family, those have a cold and distant heart. Jesus never was discouraged with men because he knew his father and he knew what his father could do. Lord of heaven and earth, that you, this is his prayer, this is his thankfulness, that you have hidden these things. Well, what things? Stop again in your Bible study and ask yourself, what are the things that he's being thankful? Don't rush read the Bible. Read it slow and ask yourself questions. What are these things? Well, in the towns that he went, he said he had mighty works that he did. But did he come to do mighty works? I suggest to you, no. The mighty works were for a vehicle to get people to another place. These things we're going to see in just a minute. Keep reading. What are the things? They're not the mighty works. That you've hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them. Notice the word reveal them. You open the mystery. Notice to little children. Now he's speaking way farther than the little children physically. He means those who have a simple heart of trust. Karen, I'm going to keep preaching. I want you to go get Addie out of the nursery, okay? Take your time, it's no hurry. So he revealed them to little children. Verse 26, yes, Father, yea, Father, the King James says, for such was your gracious will. It was the will of God that he hides the spiritual truths, the mysteries of heaven, the glory of these things that we're going to see from hearts that are so proud that they think they can figure it out. This applies to the lost man, but do you know this also applies to Christians? This can also apply to those who know Christ. Oswald Chambers used to call them I'd love to have Oswald here. I think when I get to heaven, it may be a question I ask him. He loved to use the word that men can become spiritual prigs, P-R-I-G. Maybe Lily, and you'll help me with that old English word after the service. But I think I know what he's talking about, that men can become spiritually prideful, spiritually arrogant, spiritually knowledgeable in all they know. And they miss the mystery of the joy of the fellowship of Jesus Christ. Mentioning Chambers, he writes this. The intensity of the moments spent under the shadow of the Almighty is a measure of your usefulness as a worker. Intensity of communion. In other words, the time you share with him in the field, on the tractor, in the car, in your bedroom, in the, in, in, in the living room, walking through life. The intensity of communion is not a feeling, nor emotions, or a special place. It is a quiet, fixed, concentrating, centering on God himself. Because when the heart gives up the fight to understand, the Holy Spirit rushes in and reveals himself. 
You don't have to just cry out, God, reveal. Quit trying to figure it out. He'll show himself to you. He goes on and writes, never allow anything to hinder you from being in the place where your spiritual life is maintained. The expression of our lips must correspond to our communion with God. It is easy to say good and true things without troubling to live up to them. Preachers are the most notorious because we get a chance to stand and say good and right things. Consequently, the Christian talker is more liable to be a hypocrite than any other non-worker in the church or at least those who aren't involved in intensive ministry. See his point? We're more liable to be in the place of hypocrisy. Notice, moving on in the verse, what are these things? Verse 27. Well, we've got her here. Let's see if it works. Put her down. Yeah. Addy, come here. Addy, come here. Come here. Come here. Give me. All right, go back to Kiki. That's what he wants. That's all he wants. He wants a heart that comes and smiles when you see him. He wants a heart that you walk and just, she doesn't understand me. She doesn't know anything about me other than I'm her pop and I love her and she can trust me. That's all she needs to know. And her heart is open and just like a child. That's what he wants. All right. Well, that worked better than I thought it worked. (laughs) You know, you're told never to work with children or animals, so uh, you never know. Verse 27, all things, he said, have been handed over to me by my Father. That's an amazing revelation. All things, everything has been handed. Here you have Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, and yet at this point, there's this relationship with him as the son of man where all things are, so what's handed over to him? Notice, and no one knows the son except the father. And no one knows the father except the son. Now think about this. There's this revelation of the intimacy of knowledge that is complete between the Son and the Father. Watch this. Follow me because this is the, these things that they missed. I have a son. I don't know where my son is right now. Maybe out in the parking lot. He's somewhere. I know my son. I've known him for all the years that he has been alive. But I don't know him completely. We don't know ourselves completely, do we? So I know him, and I would say I'd I'd know about 80 or 90% of John. He's known me, but I didn't have him until I was 23. So there's 22, 23 years that my son didn't know me. That's a lot of history. There's things I'll never tell my son that I did. Never. But he knows me. He probably knows me 50, 60%. We know each other by percentage because we're humans and so, we don't even know ourselves. 
But here's a statement by Jesus Christ that, that the, I know the Father. I know all the Father. That's impossible unless you are God. The Father knows me in full intimacy. Do you see that? So you have this complete full revelation that the Father and the Son are complete in their full on 100% knowledge of one another. What are these things that the miracles were supposed to expose? That here before you in this little town of Capernaum is the Son of God, is Jesus Christ, God in the flesh. And when they saw those mighty miracles, their heart by faith and simple trust should have done just what like Addie did and run and open their arms and embrace Jesus Christ. And their whole lives should have been transformed by it, but they were just, you know, off. They just, I'm not sure about it. You know, we don't know. Really. And then he says this at the end of that verse. Except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone, I love this, anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal the Father. Here in this one phrase, you have the free will of man and the choosing election of God. To anyone. Anyone can know the Father, and yet you have, he chooses to reveal. Isn't that beautiful? Both simplistic, oh, but the, but the prideful human heart, oh, I'd be <laughs> mystery. I encountered that years ago when I sat down with those classroom full of atheists. There must have been 30 of them in the classroom. They sat me in the middle, and everything was fine and dandy. I was answering their questions until they came upon a question that revealed a need to have faith. And I said, well, that's a mystery. And they all mocked and laughed and thought that was the funniest thing. Oh, now we're going to go to mystery. Like little ants are frustrated because they can't figure out the big picture of the world around them. That's what it is. Our tiny little brains. And here you have God. All things, let God be true. And every man a liar. Amen? All right, let's go on. Notice verse 28. 28 has to be seen in the context of the flow of verses. Verse 28 is misinterpreted so many times, and I want you to look at it because we're not talking about the frustrating things of life. When he says in verse 28, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This has nothing to do with the frustrations of life. Last Thursday, I had a grease day. You ever ever had a grease day? I call it a grease day. It's a, it's a day where every, every light you come to is green. The whole day. Last Thursday was one of those days. I had to get two different things from Home Depot. In Home Depot on Lane Avenue, I found two separate workers that were knowledgeable about the product and, and, and took time and talked to me and got me the right thing. Now that's a miracle in itself. That's unbelievable, especially that Home Depot. I go to Oak Leaf just to avoid that. There was two guys in there. One of them, you know, I need a grout cleaner. He said, I don't get any of these products. Just use hot water and don't. He said, I do this for a living. He gave me a little brush to buy. This guy does it for a living. That's the guy I found at Home Depot. All day it was like that. The barbecue at Bono's was good. You know, that's a... 
50-50 shots, all good. And to, and to top the day off, the Jaguars won that night. Can you believe it? For me, it was a greasy day. It was beautiful. The weather was beautiful. I made the mistake of sharing it with Ed in the evening over at his house. He said, well, I didn't have that kind of day. <laughs> He was inspecting a house up in Fernandina Beach and left his iPad up there that he needed for the reports. He had he found out when he got back to Cali and he had to drive all the way to back through Yuli busy traffic to get to at four o'clock in the afternoon. Man, it's, I said, well, I won't tell you any more about my day. <laughs> you know, Jim shared this morning about a tough vacation, difficult things. This verse is not about any of that. It's not about that. In the flow of the context of the verses, notice verse 28. Come unto me, all you who labor in trying to find me through your intellect. Come unto me, all you who are weary because pride has kept me out. Keep it in the context of the flow. Because does God care about the good days and the bad days? Well, he cares about all of it. But the important thing to him is, is, is your relationship to Jesus Christ. Because no matter what day you have, the core thing is your fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's the big picture, and that's what he goes after. Come unto me, all you who are who labor to try to figure, to be in charge of your life. All you who labor to fix everybody else. All you who labor to fix yourself. All you who labor to try to rearrange life so that everything's cookie cutter and beautiful. Give all that up. Give up complete control of your life and walk to him like Addie just walked to me and hug him and love him. Because in the end game, no matter if it's a greasy day or a sandpaper day, the big thing is your relationship to Jesus Christ. That's the huge issue. And then he says this in verse 29. Notice he says, and I will give you rest. That's a promise. I, I, you know, I just, just, you know, I will give you rest. It's a promise. Verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. What does it mean, a yoke? It's an ox yoke. By the way, some believe that Jesus made these ox yokes in his carpentry shop. When they needed an ox Yoke, and what it is, it's a big wooden round thing that fits around the head and shoulders. It's what the ox pulls the plow with. Do you know they measure an ox before they build a, a yoke? They measure. And then once they carve it out to the measurements of that exact ox, because there's no two ox alike, I guess. Some are bigger, some are smaller. Oscar had a thin neck. He was wiry. He was tall. Cooper's short and stocky and thick. Everything's thick. We had him over to Caleb's house the other night, and I think Landon was dropping him on his head, and Caleb was concerned about his neck, hurting his neck. Man, that neck, I don't know if you can hurt that neck. That was good he told him not to drop him on his head, but everything's built. So these oxen are different. So they measure it, and then once they... 
they carve it out, they come and fit that ox yoke to the particular ox and they take it off and they shave it down and they get it just right because anything that isn't just right is going to bear upon that ox and create blisters and sores and he's not going to be able to pull it. I had a tooth put in last week. I was so happy. It was about eight, nine month process of getting one of those deals in. And I have learned from the past because I've had them done before that you better get them fit right before you leave that dentist thing. I don't care how many times he's got to take it down, take it out, take it out, grind it out, take it out. Because when you bite down, you better not feel anything sticking. It better 